0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the Bench, and you are listening live to season four, episode number two. And Speaking of two, Scott, we are just a duo tonight. I know. Uh, I know. Aaron is traveling back from, I believe, Chicago, uh, where they, they sent their son, William, um, off. I'm not sure where he went, uh, to be yeah. honest, uh, but... Just uh, they're, they're driving back. They've got two dogs. He thought he might join us via uh, just audio. Uh, but the two dogs, as we have heard in some of their other podcasts, when they've tried to get on the air, uh, they would probably get on the air in the car.
1: Yeah. Yes, they would.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we will uh, just fly with uh, the two of us today. And uh, we will I try. I feel like
1: to- I'm missing an appendage now. I know. Without having Aaron
0: here, we are missing uh, part of our body. We're missing or also probably the,
1: probably the brain. Maybe
0: it could be. We know we're missing the king of the follow up question. Yes, and, uh, he will. He will smile when he hears that, and uh, yes, he will. But we'll try to carry on that. So um, Aaron and Jeanette are, are traveling back. So uh, just wishing them safety as they travel back to Cedar Rapids. And also thank you to their son, William, for his service and his going into the service to to help uh, protect us. So uh, I got a lot of respect for our military and then the young people that, uh, you know, continue to go into it um, willingly. Uh, I think uh, really I have a lot of respect. And I I just I told Aaron this one time, I said, man, I just I have a lot of respect for the parents of uh, our military uh, men and women as well. So. Yeah. So thank you to to him for serving well you know we uh, we kicked off last our last episode and I think as you're uh, listening to this episode even though this is episode two we will have had one of our shorter episodes inserted as well um, so you you may have listened to that one of our just little short 10 12 minute uh, interviews with an ad I I recorded one last week with Tim Pizzetti from Gilbert. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to Tim Pizzetti from Gilbert. Uh, But that will have been published by this time already too. But our sponsors, uh, we just want to say thank you to our sponsors, our our podcast season sponsors, our gold sponsors uh, this year, uh, Gipper, Superfan, Varsity Bound, and Hometown Ticketing. So, you know, those those entities, those businesses continue uh, to help ADs look good and do a lot for us. So um, we're eventually going to have scripts. We don't have our scripts for them yet. We have some old ones, but we're going to wait for some new ones. But our our gold sponsors, again, Gipper, uh, for all of your uh, social media needs to help you create graphics, uh, which, you know, we do um, all the time, and and, uh, they help us do that with all of their templates super fan new super fan Inc and uh, all the game management and things they can do to help us raise some money fundraising wise, um, varsity bound HQ, obviously Iowa based, uh, but kind of the centers kind of the hub of what the Iowa ADs use, uh, as far as, you know, kind of, they basically become our sports information department huh. as well as a lot of other things. Now that we have all of our forms from the boys association and the girls union there as well. So, um, you know, they're continuing to just create, roll out more and more things. And uh, their site is tremendous and what they help us do as well. And then hometown ticketing. And uh, uh, we appreciate what they do. We look forward to working for them. In Green County, we work with them and have them as our ticketing source and uh, look forward to working with them on that as well. Um, our silver sponsor, our episode sponsor, uh, GOAT Fundraising. Uh, Scott, you and I... Uh, You hooked me up with them this week, and I'm anxious to receive the information um, and look more into that. But a great fundraising tool again. And, um, Scott, maybe just speak again to that GOAT fundraising because that's brand new.
1: Yeah, Newton just kicked off this last week, and so they're actually raffling off a Traeger grill. Yep. So, Scott, I don't know if you bought your your raffle ticket yet. I might be supporting Newton football. Just a
0: chance to win that Traeger grill. Another
1: yeah. So that's, a, so that's been going well. Um, again, it's an easy fundraising solution. Literally have your kids get on their phone, text out, email, social media out. They, there's some products to buy. And there's also uh, an option to win prizes. Um, the kids have options to win prizes. And so do the people who uh, purchase um, products and or raffle tickets off the website. So really easy, uh, effective, uh, time efficient fundraiser.
0: Yeah, I think so. I enjoyed my time with them, and I think it was really informative. And boy, the hours slipped by. But um, it wasn't a hard sell. I, I think the company's rock solid, and I think we're going to look into it uh, pretty seriously once I get the information. So, yeah, if anyone has questions about that, I think they should contact you, right, Scott? And you can get them.
1: Uh, uh, yep, he- I can get up them that hooked direction. up with Craig. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. So um, get a hold of Scott if you're interested in some goat fundraising. And finding out what that is doesn't hurt to sit through it. But I think it's it's uh, it's something I think we're going to look at doing maybe with our whole activities department and uh, just kind of taking some stress off. So contact Scott, he will hook you up and get you connected with GOAT fundraising. So, well, we are uh, honored tonight to have a a very special guest and uh, those ADs that have been in into this for any amount of time and those that are just new to the profession uh, across the country. If you pick up a magazine, um, either the, uh, the AD magazine of, of any sort, uh, you're going to come across our next guest, and his articles have been a tremendous help to me. I know they've been a tremendous help to Scott and to Aaron as well. Uh, so we're going to let uh, Scott lead in with our, our guest, and uh, then we will, let's get going.
1: All right, Dr. Hawkwell thank you for being with us. It's always a pleasure. Um In my career, I've had the opportunity to read and learn from you on many occasions. So uh, just for me, a personal thank you. Um, I know you spend crazy amounts of hours writing articles and sharing um, the vast knowledge that you have of athletic administration. So um, just for me, uh, who's been an AD for a long time, I appreciate um, all the efforts that you have and the hours you've spent basically educating, edu- you know, ADs across the country. So thank you. You're more than welcome. I appreciate it. Yes. Well, tell us, Dr. Ock, just tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, how you started, you know, where we went to school, um, how it all came together. And, and now you're, you know, sharing with ADs across the country. So where did the journey begin and where are you at today?
2: Well, that the answer to that, Scott, is going to be rather lengthy. Uh, no, no worries. So- there are going to be some questions that I think are, are quick and easy and concise. What I, um, I don't want to go to each position I've been at, that would be, that be disastrous. But, but there are a couple illustrative stories that I think uh, would really be helpful. And so gotcha. let's start that way. Um, I went to college in Western Pennsylvania and my intention was I wanted to become a teacher. And at that time in history, The only way you could coach is if you were a teacher. There was no such thing as bringing somebody in off the street. So when I was graduating, it was a time in in the U.S. history in which we had a scarcity of teachers, if you can imagine that. And this wasn't locally. This was across the country. And so high schools were coming onto campus, literally spending the day interviewing pr- pr- prospective teachers one after another, and we might have six, 10 high schools a day come on campus. It was crazy. And mm. so every day I could get three, four interviews if I if that's what I wanted. So I interviewed for a, a position in Southern New Jersey, Washington Township High School. And in doing so, um, the, the assistant superintendent conducted the, the interview. And at the end of the interview, typical of any interview, he asked, do I have a question or two for him? And I said, oh, absolutely. I said, I'm interested in coaching. What are the opportunities? What are the chances of coming to your high school and coaching? He started to laugh. And I thought, oh, this is weird. Why Hmm. does an assistant superintendent laugh in a professional interview? Then he, he composed himself and he explained about the situation that, yes, you had to be a teacher, and because they were looking for 24 teachers that year in the high school, 24, he said, we need a coach in just about every sport. My eyes lit up. It was like, OK. Uh. A, couple, a couple of weeks later, they offered me the job. So I'm down there for, the, for one day of orientation. It's on a Friday. And I get a notice that the athletic director would like to see me. I had no idea who he was I find his office, I knock on the door, and I said, I understand you're looking for me. And he said, yes, come on in. I understand you would like to coach. Oh, yes, I do, sir. I would really (laughs) like to coach basketball. He said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, son. He said, that's a winter sport. I've got to fill positions for the fall. He said, we would like you to be the assistant boy soccer coach. I said, well, there has to be some mistake here. I've never played soccer a minute in my life. I said, you're making a huge mistake here. Basketball, yes. Soccer, no. He said, no, 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 no. You're a teacher, aren't you? Well, I had to think for a minute because I hadn't actually been in the classroom yet, but I I concluded, yes, I was a certified teacher. He followed up. He said, well, do you like kids? Of course I like kids. He said, that's it. That's all we need. You're a teacher. You (laughs) like kids. You are our new assistant boy soccer coach. And I said, but I don't know anything about the sport. He said, oh, don't worry about it. He said, the head coach will pull you aside 10 minutes before every practice and tell you what what he's going to do, what you have to look for, and you'll go from there. Every day he'll deal with you. He said, oh, bring the change of clothes because Monday after school you start. Okay. That's how I got started coaching. So in the winter – I was the freshman boys' basketball coach. Now, basketball is what I love, and that's great. In the spring, I coached tennis. So here I am right out of college. I'm coaching three sports, two of which I don't know anything about. <laughs> and so the next, so at the end of the, near the end of that year, the head soccer coach leaves to take a college position, and, and rightfully so because he was, he was very talented. He knew the game. He deserved it. Guess what? They elevate me to the head soccer position. after this this one year of listening to everything he had to say. Oh, it was a crazy time. So in the winter, I go from freshman basketball coach up to JV. So we're about three games into the season and I'm working for a head coach who is extremely knowledgeable, very, very good head coach. But his first name is Pete. Pete was not a very verbal person. Pete was a very straightforward, blunt individual. <laughs> so right at right after practice, after three games in, he says, where would you like to be in 15 years? Now, he's not referring to where do I want to live. He wants to know in my career, where do I want to be in 15 years? Now, at the time, I'm between 22 and 23 years old. I had never thought about this. And so I'm stumped. I am dumbfounded. What do you mean, where I want to be? So I remind him. I said, Pete, in case you don't remember, I coach soccer. I'm your JV basketball coach. I coach tennis and I teach five classes a day. I'm having the time of my life. I'm thrilled. Pete, straightforward, says, I didn't ask if you were happy. I asked, where do you want to be in your career in 15 years? I have no answer. Pete says, listen, things don't happen by accident. If you want to go and aim for something else later in your life, in a career, you have to take concrete steps to get there. So, do you have a plan? No, Pete, I don't have a plan. I've never thought about it. I'm 23 years old. So, Pete lets it drop. We come to the end of the season, and Pete asks me again. repeats the exact same question. I am not much better prepared. So, I <laughs> mumble and stumble and say something to the effect gee, Pete, maybe, just maybe, someday, well, perhaps, maybe I'd like to be a head college basketball coach. Pete, in a straightforward manner, says, well, at least you have a career objective. That's a start. (laughs) Now, he says, what are you going to do to get there? What do you mean, what am I going to do to get there? He said, well, you know, being my JV coach isn't going to get you to your career goal. So what steps are you going to take to get there? I have no idea. He just hit me with another one where I am totally dumbfounded. How am I supposed to know how I'm going to get there? So weeks go by and it's now mid-April. Pete calls me down to his office and he's, oh, and again, there's, there's no preliminary. There's no, hey, how are your classes going? How's tennis going? None of that. He just gets right to the point and he said, Hey, I made a couple phone calls for you and I got you an interview. I said, You did what? You did what? What just do you mind if I ask where I'm going for this interview and what I'm what and what I'm about to interview for? He said, Oh, yeah, that's easy. You're going up to Trenton State College, which is now the College of New Jersey. He said, You're going to interview for a graduate assistant basketball position. If you're going to start in the summer session, you're going to go full-time in the fall, full-time in the in the spring semester, and in one year, you'll earn your master's degree, and you will be a graduate assistant uh, a coach. He said, those are two ingredients that you absolutely need if you're going to make your career objective in 15 years. Oh, and by the way, just don't screw up the interview. <laughs> no, he, he actually, I can remember this as if it were yesterday. So I, I guess I didn't screw up the interview because I got it. And one year later, I had a master's degree in hand, and I had served as a graduate assistant basketball coach. And as Pete pointed out, two critical components towards my future. Mm -hmm. One last little thing with Pete before I I move on to another little story. Pete also, again, keeping with his trend of thinking 15 years ahead, said, well, what are you going to earn your master's in? Oh, Pete, I don't know. So we sat down and he convinced me that what you have to do is think ahead because I'm not going to coach forever. Now, at my stage at 23 years old, I thought I was going to coach forever. Yeah. But he pointed out that some point along the line, you may get fired, you may have family problems, or perhaps you just get burned out. So there's going to come a time when you will not be coaching. He said, are you going to be ready for that day? And again, I'm 23 years old. How the heck do I know I'm going to be ready for that day? So he, he convinced me that the way to go with my master's was to earn a master's degree in administration so that I, at least I had another outlet to go. So I, I, my master's is in the administration of physical education and athletics. So now I've got two different career paths after my, my coaching days are done. So I go along and we're not gonna go position by position. 15 years goes by pretty quickly and I'm coaching here and I'm coaching there and I'm trying to build my credentials as Pete pointed out. So next, next in line, I am now an assistant coach at Lehigh University. I do the normal things, Uh, you know, I help, I teach at practice and I go scouting and everything. I have a lot of time in my hands and not at Lehigh, but at another university, I saw an advertisement for a graduate course. Now I already had my master's, but I didn't have this particular course and it looked like it would be very valuable for my future. So I figured, oh, what the heck, let's just go take this course. So I do, and the professor was Dr. William Penny. Uh, He passed away a number of years ago, but of all my undergraduate courses, All my graduate courses and any other course in between, he was the absolute best professor I had, bar none. I don't care what subject. I don't care what level. He was the absolute best that I ever encountered. So a couple weeks into the course, because I had to drive on icy roads, and I'd get there early. And he said to me, why are you taking this course? And what are your career objectives? And I'm (laughs) thinking, oh, my goodness. I've, I've heard done this before. before, early in life. Yeah. I've heard this, and so I explained what my goals were and why I was taking the course and what I hope to do. And he said, "Do you mind if next week you come in, you bring a copy of your resume? I'd really like to look at it." I said, "Oh, Doctor Penny, we don't have to do that. I always carry a copy in my briefcase, and I have lots of copies. So you <laughs> may just hang on to it. You can do whatever." So I come in the following week, and he said. Hey, I had a chance to look at it. Do you mind if I offer a couple suggestions? Oh, be my guest. I thought he was going to tell me to rewrite my resume. Instead, he said, there's no doubt in my mind what you have to do to achieve your goal. I said, okay, Dr. Penny, hit me. What, what is that? He said, you've got to earn your doctorate. I said, oh, no, 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 no. You got the wrong person here. I can't do that. And every time I protested, he had an answer. So he knew I was going to say, no, I can't. And so I'm saying, no, I can't do this. I don't have the ability. No, I can't do this. And each one he shot down like a lead balloon. So I come in the, the following week and he said, hey, listen, I have three friends at the University of Massachusetts, University of Cincinnati. Uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not Cincinnati, uh, Ohio University. and I can't remember the third. But he said, I guarantee you. You tell me which one of the three, and I will get you a graduate assistantship. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, deja vu. I've I've been down this road already. And I I said, listen, Dr. Penny, I really appreciate your interest. I appreciate all your help. I just can't. I don't have the ability to do that. And besides, my wife will divorce me. If I say, hey, guess what? We're packing up, and we're moving to Massachusetts. I said, this is not going to work. I said, where we live, how about Temple University? It's a 30-minute ride from where we live. Well, Dr. Penny wasn't real thrilled, for whatever reason, wasn't thrilled with Temple University. So I come into class the next week, and he said, hey, I made a couple phone calls for you, and I got you an interview. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, this (laughs) this is history repeating itself. This cannot happen. So yeah. he, got, he got me an interview at Temple University. Now, Pete's advice to me was just don't screw up the interview. Dr. Dr. Penny took a little different approach. He said, just be yourself and everything's going to work out fine. So I go down to Temple, I interview, and I guess being myself did it, I'm um, accepted. <laughs> and so that started the whole trend towards getting, earning my doctorate. Now, the reason why I throw this in, because any number of years have gone by. My 15 years are up, and so now I've completed my doctorate. And in the this is pre-internet, there's no internet, so I'm looking in the Sunday uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, large classified section, and there's this half-page ad: University of Pittsburgh at Bradford looking for a head men's basketball coach who will also teach one class per semester and serve as assistant AD. I'm going, oh, my gosh, here it is. Mm. I apply, I interview, I get the job. So now I'm on the job a couple months. And as a new faculty member, a new coach, once a week, I'm obligated to meet with the dean of students just for him to ask, hey, how are things going? Do you have any questions? And most of the time it's like, no, what are we going to talk about? But we're, this is about mid-October, and he was the head of the search committee who hired me. So I figured, what do I have to lose? I've got the job. They're not going to fire me for asking this question. So I said, hey, if you don't mind me asking, Jim, what was it? I know you interviewed, besides myself, three other people. Why? What was it in my answers in the interview or on my credentials? What was it that got me over the top and I got the offer? Said, oh, that's simple. He said, the four of you were so close, it was unbelievable. We would not have gone wrong with any one of you as a candidate. But you were the only one who actually had earned his doctorate and indicated that education was important. That was a great role model for us, not just for basketball, but for our entire student body. That's what did it. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, Dr. Penny, you were a genius. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So all these years, I am looking and applying and trying, and I'm, I'm not getting that offer until I finish my doctorate. Okay, we're coming to the end of this story a little bit. So I'm there five years, and it's everything I ever wanted. Um, I'm a head coach at a small college. Uh, I teach one course a semester, which, which I absolutely loved. I'm an assistant AD. They were very understanding that during the season, I didn't do a lot of assistant AD work. Uh, great. Five years in, the president decides he's going to make a change. Not just with me, the entire athletic department. One day we have a job, and two days later we do not have a job. Oh, man! And so he he did it against all practical advice. So there I am. Uh, my my ideal job that took me fifteen plus years to get, and I'm unemployed. And it, the timing of the, of the whole thing was. It was too late to get other college jobs. I am unemployed for 10 months, and I have a wife and two children. And so I get a phone call from a friend of mine down here in Maryland and said, listen, I know what your career objectives are. I know you want to stay on the college level. I know you want to coach. You're good at what you do, but you need a job. Hey, you got a wife and two children. You need a job. He said, our high school is looking for an athletic director. I know it's not what you want but you need a job. I can't promise you the job, but I can promise you get you an interview. Once you're in the interview, it's up to you. Okay, I'll take the interview. And that was at Eastern Tech down here in Maryland, which is where I started as an athletic administrator. And so I interview, three or four days later, I'm offered the job, I start. My goal was that because we're deep in financial trouble now after being unemployed for 10 months, was I was going to take the job for a year, maybe two years, recover, get the family back on on fine footing. And then I'm back to college. I'm back to my small college. I'm back to doing what I want to do. So it's now April of my first year at Eastern Tech. And our son, who's a freshman at our neighborhood school, not, not Eastern Tech, neighborhood school and so he he comes home one evening and right around dinner time he says dad can we have a talk now right there there's there's a problem our son Matthew never had a serious talk with me in his life (laughs) Uh, my wife handled talk about birds and bees Matthew is not a serious person so all of a sudden he wants to be serious and talk so I look at my wife and say What the hell is this all about? (laughs) So after dinner, he he says, Dad, I don't know if you noticed, but I had a very good basketball season this year. Matthew, as a freshman, started on the JV team at the local high school, and that is rare in our area of the country. Freshmen just don't start. Matthew did and had an unbelievable season. I said, Matt, yeah, I did did take notice. I, I noticed you had a pretty darn good season. And he said, and he said, dad, you probably didn't notice. I got good grades. Oh, Matt, I noticed that. Oh, yes. I looked at that report card and I double took. I read it several times just to make sure you were my son. Yes, <laughs> I know. You were getting, you were getting A's. And this is the first time in his life he ever got A's. He was, he was very nice, intelligent kid. But he was content with C pluses. Why should I work when I get a C plus? So I said, oh, my gosh, yeah, you got A's. Said, and, Dad, one more thing. I don't know if you noticed, but the first time in my life, I'm happy getting up in the morning and going to school. I said, no, I didn't know that, Matt. He said, listen, Dad, I know what you want to do. I know your career goals, and I'm all for it. I loved when you were at Pitt Bradford. But I'm asking you, please don't take another job and move. I, for the first time in my life, I'm happy in school. I'm going, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It didn't take long. And I said, "Okay, Matt, I promise I will not look and take another job. You can finish high school here. Well, we have a daughter who's three years younger. Even though she wasn't involved in the conversation, two or three years later, she knew about the conversation. And so she comes running to me and say, hey, how the heck can you promise your son and not me? And so she lays out all (laughs) the reasons why she shouldn't move. I said, Jen, you're absolutely right. Um, A a dad just can't make a, a decision for one child and not another. So I promise I will not pick up and move the family. Well, by the time Jen gets to college, it's eight years later now. So now I decide, okay, it's my turn. It's my turn to get back to that small college level and do what I have set out all my life to do. I'm applying everywhere that I can hear of a logical opening. And I'm not getting a single interview. I mean, not a single interview. And I'm really down in the dumps. And so I go to a friend of mine who was a college coach. And I said, I just don't understand this. I'm not even getting an interview. And he said, listen, there's a logical explanation. I said, OK, give it to me. He said, the logical explanation is you're not considered a viable candidate any longer. You've been out of it for eight years. There have been others who all the time you've been out, they've been coaching. They've been building their credentials. You haven't. And so you're, you're old-time news. He said the only way you're ever going to get back is if you start at the bottom again and build your credentials. Well, I started doing the quick math of how old I was. and I said, oh, my gosh, I don't have that much time. I can't do that. And that's when it realized, well, I realized that and even during this time at Eastern Tech, I think I'm doing a pretty darn good job of being an athletic administrator, but my time as a college coach and a college instructor were over and I wasn't able to get back. So both Pete and and Dr. Penny were responsible for me to be able to weather through these different things and make it to where I was. So all told, my career went 41 years and I finished the last 17 years as a high school athletic administrator. And it was all because Pete prepped me for this, told me about my master's degree, what I should be doing in order to prepare. And then, of course, Dr. Penny put it over the, over the edge. So my career went a long time and kind of, not probably what your normal common journey is, but, but that's where I wound up and, and how
1: I got where I am. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That was awesome.
0: Yeah. We we love to hear people's stories. And uh, yes. that, that's what makes, I think, everyone's so unique. Yeah. Um, just funny how things lined up there um, along the way with that advice. And, you know, just kind of led you. And then, obviously, having the kids. You know, those are, those are heart-wrenching moments uh, for fathers and parents yeah. when they – have those conversations with their kids and their kids are brutally honest. And, uh, yep. you know, the response we have says so much. So
1: My son for- said the same thing to me when we moved from Seattle, Washington to Newton, Iowa, dad, please don't make me go to another school. And I was like, all right. That was, yeah. So I completely can, can, uh, you know, understand the, how you were feeling when those When your kids ask you that, because I felt the same way when my son that did that to me. So,
0: well, David, what you have such a a passion. I mean, the the passion you you tell your story with is um, amazing and and infectious. Uh, But you have such a passion for professional development, for athletic administrators. Um, Where did that start? And uh, what do you think
2: fueled that? <clears throat> well, Todd, I know exactly where it started and it's another story. It's not quite as long as as Scott's <laughs> question, but it's another story and I and I think it's it's again very illustrative of an unusual way about things. So, here's how it started. The day after I orally defended my doctoral dissertation, which is which, by the way is the last step, one of my graduate professors came up to me and, and congratulated me and then he quickly added, do you mind if I give you a couple pieces of advice? Since I, I really thought he was fantastic, of course, give me some advice. And he said, oh, and he was a little bit like Pete. Uh, he didn't mince words. He was a very straightforward person. He was, again, a great professor, but he didn't play games. He, he, whatever was on his mind, he told you. So he said, you know your next step. He said, "Great that you finished, and, and it's good. You should be proud, and it's a nice accomplishment." But your next step, we—and I'm not so sure it was we. I think it was more like <laughs> I. But he used we. We expect you to now write professional articles and make presentations. Uh. And I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" Again, I protested. I said, "You got the wrong guy here." I'm only going to use his, his first initial. Said so Doc, he may still be alive, so I don't, I don't want this getting out. But I, he said, "I said you got the wrong person, Doctor G. I can't write." He said, "Wait a minute. You wrote a dissertation, didn't you? Because that's what what the final step is." I said, "Well, yeah, I did write a dissertation, but I had a lot of help from other people." He said, "Well, so what?" if you're going to write professional articles, get help from other people. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> so I said, I said, but no, no, you got the wrong person. I, I'm, I'm not a writer. I, I can't do that. And I said, I, I can't get up in front of an audience and make a presentation. He said, well, then get help and prepare. He said, I'm not asking. I'm telling you, this is what we expect.
0: Huh.
2: And he said, it, it, and here comes the clincher. He said, We helped you for the last six years. Now it's your turn to repay that. It's your turn to help others. And okay, that that hit me a little bit. and I, I understand. But here comes the closing. He said, you know, you have a responsibility and an obligation to help others around the country. Now get busy. I don't want to hear a darn excuse. And it was as if somebody hit me right between the eyes. Um, I don't know that anybody ever talked to me like that. And he got away with it because he's a very straightforward person and somebody I greatly admired. So months went by and I mean, months went by and a friend of mine who I worked with alerted me that that they, somebody was looking for an article. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm not a writer. I can't do that. He pestered me every single day. Hey, have you gotten started? No, I haven't. Well, when are you going to get started? Oh, I don't know. I finally started the article just because I got so tired of hearing them. I, I mailed it away to the, to the publication. And again, months went by. And months later, I get a notification that it's going to be published. I'm thrilled. I mean, I have no idea. I've never done anything like this. I'm thrilled. And so, again, this is prior to the Internet. There is no Internet, so therefore there's no email. One day in the, in the U.S. mail, I get a, a little card. It's about a little bit bigger than a three-by-five card. And it comes from this professor who does not mince words. <laughs> and and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't start off with any niceties or preliminaries like, hey, how's your teaching going? How's your, None of that. He simply starts on this little card. See, that's what I'm talking about. Now get busy and start writing more. <laughs> that was it. He, he never once said, Hey, nice job. Congratulations. None of that. It's like, Hey, kick up your, your act and let's get going. <laughs> so after I, I, I laughed for minutes, after I got done uh-huh. laughing, I thought, well, maybe I could write one more sometime. No big deal. I got one done. I'll write one. So over about a 12 year period, I wrote, I think, eight articles over 12 years. I mean, hardly noteworthy stuff. And then another incident took place and I was offered the opportunity to write a weekly, not a week, a monthly column for Coach and Athletic Director Magazine. So it meant going from one article every other year to writing 10 articles a year. And that's how it escalated. And it took me a number of years to understand what Dr. G was talking about. And I'm going to interject a little personal story. That's our, our alarm clock, our clock going off. Um, <laughs> my, my great parents, my good parents, I had great parents, and, and they always raised my brother and I with maxims and stories and, and so forth. So we, we might have been, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in that age group. And one, before Christmas, one time, they, they hit us with, you know, it's always better to give than to receive. And my <laughs> brother and I are looking at each other like, who the heck are they trying to give? <laughs> uh, it's better to give than to receive. So it took me into my early adulthood to understand that. Well, it took me 12 years of Dr. G and my friend to understand that if I wrote an article, if I made a presentation I could help others. And so then the internet comes along. And so now when I write an article, I hear, I get an email saying, your article really helped me. Or may I ask a question? Or can you point me in the right direction? And so it's no longer a question. I know that I'm able to help people around the country. And so my passion grew slowly. I started with a protest saying I can't do this to the point where, well, maybe I can write one more to the point where my last couple of years at Lockraven Raven high school, I was producing 35 articles a year, which is a heck of a lot. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still working my 15 hour days and Saturdays and everything else. Now I've cut back. I've cut back to 26 a year. So it's, it's, it's kind of just 26 yeah, yeah i know i I, pro- I probably should get i should get a little more busy but
0: the good um, doctor might what? be giving you another postcard here before no, long. No,
2: yeah, right. see that's why i don't want to use his name because if he, if, he, if he hears about this i'm gonna get a little note card in the mail like what the heck are you doing why aren't you get doing busy. Yeah, let's get busy so, and I, and I do suspect he might still be living. If he yeah. is living, he would be in his mid-80s or late 80s. I don't want to take a chance that he knows that this has taken place. But so your, your question was, how did it develop? Well, it developed slowly, but it is at a point now where it is a passion. Um, without being conceited, I know that I help people and just the fact that I know that I'm helping people just keeps me going uh, one email if I get one email from an article then I'm good for the next two weeks yeah um, so it so it, it started so it started slowly and built and built and built to the point where it is I,
0: I'm gonna follow up with a, a question there if I can um, and I think it just comes with advice to a young ad who is got something on his mind to do might be writing an article might just be whatever might be starting a new a new new something at their school or doing something that's never been done before um what what's your advice to a young athletic administrator young ad who wants to start something new
2: I've been in that position and and not just writing articles or whatever, you know, don't be so resistant. Um, I resisted for a long time and I argued and, and I guess one piece of advice would be listen to others. Um, Pete and Dr. Dr. Penny. I didn't know the term at the time. They were my mentors Uh and they, they knew a heck of a lot. And if I had only maybe been a little more receptive a little earlier um, maybe I wouldn't have had as much angst as I went through. Um, and if, if, if some, if somebody, for example, asked you to initiate a new program or write an article or whatever it may be, they probably have enough belief in you that you can do it. Right. Um, so, so what, what you have to do is believe in yourself. And, and I'm guilty of that. Again, I, I went almost 12 years before I realized like, okay, I guess I can write. It took me 12 years to get to that point. Um, so call me a slow learner, if you will. But, you know, heck, if you if you listen to other knowledgeable people who know you maybe even better than yourself, go for it. Um, what's, what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work out the first time. Any number of people have failed. At some, hey, again, I was unemployed for 10 months. Not that I think I did anything wrong to be unemployed. But you know, you you learn a lot about yourself if you're unemployed for for ten months, and how you have to pull yourself up. There were there were days I, I was pretty darn angry during that time, yeah. but that that doesn't help you. You've got you've got to keep going. So, so I guess one quick off-the-cuff piece of advice is believe in others. If they believe in you, give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: that's awesome.
0: Thank you. That's good. Oh, you're welcome. Great stuff.
1: So, Dr. Huck, you talked about a little bit of, about it already, a little bit. But what is the most rewarding part about writing and contributing articles or speaking at conferences? What do you find the most rewarding? You're, you're Scott.
2: You're you're absolutely right. It, so this will be a, a relatively short answer because because sure. I've part I've partly touched upon it. Yeah. I know. I'm helping others. And I don't mean that in a conceited fashion.
1: No, no, I know you
2: don't. I, I, I absolutely, when I hear, okay, let's go to, a, instead of an article, let's go yeah. to a presentation. Yeah. If I'm making a presentation and you guys have been at the national conference,
1: yeah.
2: A, any number of individuals will come up to me later saying, thank you. Or can you send me more information? Or yeah. so it takes the guesswork out. I don't, I don't have to guess if I'm helping somebody. I know I'm helping somebody. And so, In the understand that, and I mean, necessarily, sure. in, in, in my first 12 years, I didn't even though the, Dr. G said, Hey, come on, this is your obligation and your responsibility. Yeah. It took me a while to really understand that. Um, now, now it's it's I under I it's totally understandable. A couple of weeks ago, and, and this will tie in, and this will be the last part of, of, of your question. Every once in a while, I have to evaluate myself, what I'm doing. And for example, my wife constantly asked me, why are you still writing articles? <laughs> uh, no, really. She I don't believe it. <laughs> she, she, said, she does this all the time. So a friend of mine, a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, maybe, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, um, there's nothing wrong with this. In a couple of days, I turned 75. And so I said to this friend, I said, you know, maybe at seventy-five, it's time I just shut this down, and 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 he. No, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> well, no, that's what, exactly what he said. He said, "You're an idiot." <laughs> now, this, is, this is not the first time he's called me an idiot. Um, but he got to the point. He said, "You know, this is who you are. Hmm. It took you a long time to find out who you are, and it took you a long time to figure out that you can help people. Why would you shut it down now?" It, so. In all honesty, at some point, I will. I have to. At some point, I won't be able to find the words. At some point, um, I may repeat things. At some point, it's not going to work. I realize that. But his his message to me was, you're not there yet. Yeah. So keep going until you hit that point. And, and so I'm hopeful if I don't recognize it, that somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, "Okay." Now it's time. Now it's time to step aside. But as long as I can continue to help people, then there's nothing really more to ask. That's, that's my motivation. And again, whether it be an article, whether it be a book, whether it be a presentation, I know, and, and that's, and it's just being straightforward. I know I'm helping somebody and there's no better feeling in the world than being able to help somebody.
1: Completely agree. So, Dr. Hawk, did you teach? What did you teach when you taught when you were teaching at the high school originally? Did you teach PE or did you teach history? Oh, or-
2: geez, why did you ask that question?
1: Uh, um, I don't. I don't know. I just. I'm just curious. Okay.
2: Okay. Don't ask me why, but I, I, have, a, I have a bachelor's degree in German and German literature. So I init- I initially taught German. Okay. And I taught it for about six weeks, and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I mean, hated it. And I went to my principal, and again, I'm, 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 in, I'm there six weeks. And I go to my principal and said, Hey, I think I'm gonna leave. This is not for me. And he said, Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh he, and I explained why that I really didn't like it and I, I wasn't enjoying myself. And he said, well, what would you like to teach? I said, well, I probably would like to teach physical education. And so we sent my transcript away to the State Department of Education. And within about four weeks, they sent back uh, an evaluation of what courses I would have to take and so forth. And it wound up that because I had gone to a liberal arts college and I had taken a number of electives, I only needed two courses. So he, he sat me down. and He said, hey, listen, I don't want you to leave how about I schedule you next September to teach physical education with the promise you'll complete those two courses. I said, you got it. I <laughs> promise. Um, now in, in today's world, that would never happen. No, no principal or no superintendents going to go on a word to word promise. But back, back in 1968, that worked. Yeah. And so I promised and he, he kind of anticipated that I'd take one course in the fall and one course in the spring. And, you know, I'd eventually be certified. No, I took both courses in the summer. I came back in August and I, his, his first name was David. David DeGroote. I said, uh, Mr. DeGroote, I'm done. He said, what? I said, yeah, I completed the two courses. Sent him away. I got my certification and I taught physical education. Um, I, in my career, I also taught driver education. Uh, on a college level, I taught uh, physical education and sports science. Um, so I've taught a number of different things. Um, initially, in, in back in New Jersey when I started, I actually even had certification in English. What a horror that would have been. <laughs> uh, so, so as soon as I got another position... I went in and got that removed from my certification like, no way in heck are you putting me in an English classroom. <laughs> so, um, so we got that taken off. But but I initially taught German.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that.
0: Oh, you're welcome. So I think it's awesome that you have continued to, to give back and to give to the athletic administration community and the job that uh, that it is. Um, can you tell us about your latest Project, uh, your latest book, Coaching Within the Education-Based Athletics Concept, and uh, why, why you wrote it right, and why you excited about it's,
2: it. It's, sure. Well, well, first place, you can probably tell from talking with I get excited about a little thing. So, obviously, <laughs> I'm excited about it. Um, the book is entitled Coaching Within the Education-Based Athletic Concept, and Well, this has been on my mind for a number of years. And uh, what it is, is I I think around the country, a lot of athletic administrators believe in the concept. I really do. I I believe that, you know, with the NIAA and the National Federation, it's been around for, I don't know, 30, 35 years, the concept. I really do believe a lot of athletic directors believe in it. The problem as I saw it was. It's one thing for an athletic administrator to believe in it, but you've got to have your coaches buy into it and embrace it. Because if not, you're not running a good education-based program. So it dawned on me that the key to this whole thing is not athletic administrators, as important as I think we are at times, but it's the coaches. Mm. Because if you think about it, coaches come in direct contact with student-athletes. Now, granted, if they're out of season, they may not see them as much, but they're in direct contact with student athletes and they have immense impact, immense impact on student athletes. So if they don't buy into the concept, do you really have an education-based program? And that's that bothered me for a while. In, in case you haven't picked up on this, when I write articles, it's usually because there's I have a concern or there's an issue or I have a passion There's something that drives it. And so this kept going back and forth in my mind, like, wait a minute, the coaches may not have this message. And so I I did a little research. I looked around and yes, there are articles to help athletic directors. There are any number of sources for athletic administrators. I couldn't find anything that was directed at coaches trying to explain education-based athletics. I'm going, there's the root of the problem. So I probably shouldn't admit this, but uh, again, we're, we're in complete honesty here, so I'll admit it. Um, I had this idea 10 years ago, but because of the state of the publishing business, I couldn't get a publisher to, to really look into it and take an interest. It was because it, it just wouldn't have generated enough money. And they're in it, after all, for the business. If they don't generate money, they don't, they don't go along. So I put this on my hard drive, and I just left it there. And then with COVID-19, things are shut down. And the college I earned my master's degree at, the College of New Jersey, they had to cancel homecoming, alumni events, and the only way that they could stay in touch with alumni was every two weeks to put out a digital newsletter. And and again, it was professionally done. They used photos, quick, concise little articles. It was what really very, very good. And so every two weeks, heck, I'm at home. I don't have anything else to do. I read them. And what they started to do was host webinars. And the first one was like long-term financial planning. The second one was how to start your own small little business in retirement. Like, I don't care about that. I'm not <laughs> that. So I keep reading the newsletters. And then one week, there's this notice for a webinar, how to publish your book. And I'm going, bingo. So I, I register for my first webinar. I'm sitting there, notepad in hand. And, and this alumnus is telling how he got his two books published. And I'm making notes. I'm writing it down. And when he's finished, it's about an hour long presentation. I rushed to my laptop up I go on the internet. He mentioned a couple publishers. I'm going to their website. I'm reading all about it. I'm going, okay, maybe it's time. Maybe that book that I've been sitting on for 10 years, I'm writing that sucker right now. And, and that's how it started. Um, it was, okay, I've got the time. There may be a possibility here. Let's go do it. So, as a matter of fact, let, let me let me step back just a second in case anybody else is listening to this and ever wondered if they could write even one article. Here's a piece of advice that's unsolicited. <laughs> write about something you know. Write about something you have a passion for. It really does turn out better than if it's a topic you don't know anything about and you have to research. So this is a passion of mine, a major passion of mine. And so this webinar just gave me the impetus and the outlet for getting it done. And so I, again, I looked around on the market. I, I did computer searches. I did website searches. I I couldn't find anything close to it. And like, aha, this may be it. And so I, I went through it then. And I don't know some of the chapters in, in the book are, are earth shattering. But it was common sense things that I thought coaches should really know. So like the opening, and I'm not going to go in order or anything, but the opening chapter is maybe I better explain what education-based athletics is, Mm -hmm. why it's important, what's involved. And that's what I do. And then I also touch upon there, hey, a coach plays a role in this. So and I didn't want to make I'm not trying to make them feel guilty, but hey, listen. And guys and gals, if you're coaches, you play a part in education-based athletics. So then there's I have a chapter on how to relate better to, pe- to players. If you're going to be an educator, you better be able to relate to players. And how to develop student leadership and uh, unique educational opportunities that you use. Ah, a coach's role in sportsmanship. Hey, coaches play a role of influencing athletes, fans, and parents. You better understand that. Even if you don't necessarily agree with it, your athletic administrator expects you to do it. So let's deal with that. And so I go through the whole thing and I finish. The last chapter is, what's your legacy going to be? And I, I deal with the fact, and I, and I use some personal experiences. Again, I started well, I started in 1968. I still get Christmas cards from some of the players I Mm coached. If you don't think that there's an impact there or a relationship there, then something's wrong. Um, Some of them I've heard back from 30 years, 35 years. So if you go and look at seasonal records, they may not be able to remember what their seasonal record was. Now, in my coaching, we won two, two state championships, one in soccer and one in basketball. Obviously, they're going to remember that, but they may not know year to year what the record of the team was. They're not going to remember scores of games. Heck, I can't remember them. Mm-hmm. And so what they will remember years later, and there's no set time limit on it, they're going to remember funny things that happened at practice. They're going to remember that, that corny little phrase that as a coach you always used. Oh, and I had a couple of them. And trust me, my, my players remind me all the time. And there's there's one in particular that I cannot share live. Um, so they, matter of fact, my one basketball team, and I don't know where they found it, some novelty store, they found a tie, a necktie with this phrase on the necktie. And they gave it to me. I don't I don't, I don't dare ever wear that necktie. Um, <laughs> So in any event, players aren't going to remember that, but they're going to remember, did you care about them? They're going to remember, did you help them in any way possible? They are going to remember that 30 years later, 40 years later. And so the way to wrap wrap up the book is, okay, what is your legacy going to be? And if you're coaching within education-based athletics and you're doing the right things and you're not worried about winning games, then you will be remembered. And it, it just got to a point where that after 10 years of thinking about this, um, I just felt I had to do it. I had to finish it. And I did. Awesome.
0: That's uh, – I I just uh, – and working. Amazon, people can I just looked it up on Amazon, so anywhere else, but uh, no,
2: okay, let's uh, not that anybody really cares about publishing. in in the publishing business, um, obviously, I had a publisher who did the editing and and the layout of the pages and things like that. But then when it comes it, the the concept today, unlike traditional publishing, it's called print on demand. And so uh, I went with Amazon because for lack of a better word amazon is the absolute largest in the world yeah. and so i could have i could have also had it sold on barnes and noble and six or seven others but amazon by, by far is the largest and most often used so i figured hey if we want to get this in the hands of coaches let's not make it complicated let's let's put it let's put it on amazon and let them let them go mm-hmm. and so yes it's it's on amazon um, it's there, it's, it's ready to go. And, um, it's, it's something, again, it's a passion for me. And I honestly, honestly think it has real value and it has value for coaches. Um, so that yeah. that's the story.
0: Great. I just, just put it in my cart, uh, my Amazon cart as, as we're talking there. And I, I think it's, it, it reminded me because how many times Scott, And uh, have we talked about education-based athletics and activities with our our coaches? We just expect them to know it, right? Right. And expect them to, to really buy in. But um,
2: Todd, Todd, may I jump in for a minute, please? Absolutely. Um, I think there's another value. And again, both of you guys are experienced athletic administrators. So, but I'm going to use myself as an example. Prior to each season, we would always have a, a preseason coaches meeting, a staff meeting. And we I'd have a detailed agenda and we went through things and, and it was about meeting this responsibility, meeting this expectation and so forth. And and you have to do that.
1: Yeah.
2: But, but after, after I'm out, for example, I was at, at, at Lock Raven for seven years. If they coach more than one sport, they in the seventh year, they're in with me like for the 22nd time. Uh And they're, they're going through this. And so I think sometimes it helps to have a different voice. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I I have no doubt that there are some things in this book that somewhere around the country, some athletic director may have mentioned, but the difference is they're not hearing it from their own athletic administrator. They're hearing it from somebody else. It's like, oh, maybe this is true. Or, oh, (laughs) Maybe I better pay attention to this because, again, I, I had a great staff. I really did. I had, I had 65 paid positions. I wouldn't have traded 62 of them for anybody. Now, there were three <laughs> that I, I gladly would have put out on waivers. <laughs> but, but in any event, they, w- they would hear me all the time. And, I, and, again, I would put out periodic reminders and emails and memos. And, and, and again, they would go, oh, here he goes again. Yeah. Here he goes again. So I think there's real value, and again, if they—not just a book—there's real value if they go to a, a coaching conference and they hear a speaker say something. Oh my gosh, my athletic administrator says that all the time, and here's somebody else saying the exact same thing. So I I really do believe that there's value in hearing it from another voice, and if nothing else, this gives them another voice. And, it's, and the other thing I think is, is important, too, it's a resource. It's in black and white. It's here. And so you could read it once and put it aside in six months say, oh, yeah, that's what it said. Mm-hmm. And and I, th- I think it's valuable in that sense um, because I am positive that around the country, a lot of athletic directors have said some things. And In fact, uh, I'm working on something else, another project right now. A lot of athletic directors, and for all the right reasons, have mission statements and belief statements. And, hey, do the coaches ever read them? Right. And if they read them, do they really understand what's – so, sure, sure we, we put these things together, and rightfully so. But, again, it goes back to the key point that coaches are the ones that are in the field or in the gym with those kids. They're the ones that have to understand and we can preach, and we can remind, and we can do all these great things, but until they get the message, we're spinning our wheels.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you,
1: that's great. So Dr. Hawk, you've worked with so many ADs from around the country, even across the world. You know. So with that being said, what are the most common characteristics and skill sets you've come across that make ADs successful in leading education-based athletics for high schools?
2: That's an interesting question, uh, Scott. Um, I'm gonna break it apart because again, when I write, I deal with words. And so sometimes words jump off either the screen or the book or words jump out at me. So I'm gonna break it into two things. Um, There's common characteristics. And then the second part is, leading education-based programs. So I think there are two separate things there. Sure, and, sure. and so that's, and that's why, I, so I'll tackle it in just that way.
1: Sure.
2: So I think athletic administrators should have skills. I mean, oh boy, let's start this way too. I've written on this, on the topic that I'm about to talk about. And again, I firmly believe in it. There's leadership and there's management. And it doesn't mean one's more important than the other. They both go hand in hand. And we don't have time to get into the distinction between leadership and management. But in order to manage a program, athletic administrators have to do things well. For example, they have to have good time management. They have to be able to organize. They have to be able to use various forms of technology, which I am terrible at. They have to be good and creative fundraisers. And the list goes on. That's from... The management side of it, that's from common characteristics. So, yes, going around the, the country and around, the world, I think there are a lot of individuals who have a lot of good skill sets, and, and I would encourage them, keep learning, keep doing more. However, when we throw out the phrase, again, education-based, I get a different perspective. I get a whole different thing. So, you can be good with time management. You can be good with technology, but not cover education-based athletics. So when I think about education-based athletics with the individuals that I've come in contact, it's things like, and and the term has been out there, servant leader. I think in order to be good in education-based athletics, you have to be a servant leader. Or another term in terms of leadership is leadership by example. I think both of these are critical, and let's—I'll I'll deal with leadership by example just, just a little bit. If I want my coaches to be on time or dependable or whatever, I better display that myself. If I want our, our coaches to have high integrity, I better have that myself. So, I worked for a principal um, way back when, and. And he had a couple idios, like all all principals or all athletic administrators, he had a couple idiosyncrasies. <laughs> One of them was he would stand in the lobby while court, uh, classes changed and he would say hello to the kids and interact. And he was very good at that. But if a piece of paper fell out of a notebook or whatever, he would go and pick it up. And if it wasn't anything important, he'd throw it in the trash can. He modeled the behavior that he expected everybody want, he wanted. Our, our school was spotless. Nobody dropped something and left it there. Nobody had graffiti on a bulletin board because he set a personal example. It was not beneath him to go pick up trash off the floor. He did it. And he'd, and again, he wouldn't make a big scene. He put it in the trash bag. Now, he would explain this to in faculty meetings. Don't get me wrong, he, he pointed out what he was trying to accomplish, but, but the student body picked up on it, and they realized that his, his name was Bob Kemmery. If, if Mr. Kemmery can do it, we can do it, and he would always promote, hey, this is our building, this is our place. Our kids picked up on it. We had a spotless building, and so leadership by example works. So in education-based athletics, servant leader, leadership by example, they're critical. Here, here's, here's two more things. I think if you're going to be a, 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 somebody in skill sets in terms of leadership, uh, in, in terms of education-based athletics, I think you have to be patient and respectful. Um, not everything's going to go well. Not everybody's going to jump on board right away. But but you have to be patient and respectful. I think you have to be positive positive supportive, and encouraging. Now, those are those are my lists. That's, that's what I believe in. But if I go around the country, I see a lot of that. Now, they may not put it in the same words. They may not demonstrate it in the same fashion. But I think you have to be a leader, servant leader. I think you have to be patient. I think you have to be respectful. I think you have to be positive. I think you have to be encouraging, supportive. That's different than, hey, I'm good at time management. I can use technology. Yeah. I, I can. I can be a creative. It's different. Yeah. So. So yes, there are common characteristics and skills. When you throw the word education-based athletics into it, then you've got to go a step beyond, and there are other things that I think you have to do.
1: Thank you. That was awesome.
2: You're yeah. welcome.
0: So we're down to our final two questions, and our regular listeners know what's coming oh, and no. yeah, <laughs> they know these questions that we asked it of all of our guests and it's probably been, uh, a lot of insight into people and it's been, they've been great answers, but, and they've all been different. They've all been great in their own, their own respect. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, um, uh, what is your, why I know that can change with age. It can change with responsibilities, but, what is your why right now when your feet hit the floor in the morning and uh, you get going, what gets you going?
2: Well, it really goes back to Dr. G who was my graduate professor. I, what gets me going every day. Okay. Let me, let me, oh, let me start this. Let me tell you what doesn't get me going in the morning. <laughs> um, I am not a morning person. And, um, and I'll do this quickly. When I retired, obviously I'm coming off working 15 hour days, week after week, year after year. And the summer, the first summer wasn't bad because it seemed like a normal summer. But then we get into August and particularly in September and I'm sitting at home and I go for my morning run, but that's only so far. And I come home and it's like, what the heck am I going to do now? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. No, seriously, what am I going to do now? And so my wife would always have this gigantic list uh, that nobody in their lifetime could ever fill. <laughs> and, and so it's things like paint the kitchen. Now that's the last thing in the world that I want to do. <laughs> and so, so there, it got to a point where, okay, if the kitchen needs to be painted, we both were teachers. We both work, hire somebody. I am not painting the kitchen. <laughs> um, and as a result, I get up in the morning and it, it took me, again, in retirement, it took me about two years to work everything out because I, I was lost. And so what I, what I try to do when I get up in the morning is, what am I going to be able to do? And it goes back to Dr. G., What am I going to be able to do to help others? And so because of my association with High School Today and Coach and Athletic Director Magazine and IAA and so forth, I always have a list of articles to write with due dates. They all have due dates. And so I know, and I keep an updated list right in front of me, I know that every single day I write. I can write for about two hours. And then my mind simply says, stop you idiot um (laughs) and and again if i if i if i persist if i stay there any longer nothing of any value comes out of it at that point i might as well walk away so my day and i don't write at the same time every day but i write every day because i know it's helping somebody Mm -hmm. and it ties in with two words again i go back to the friend that that told me not to step aside, and that is it provides me with purpose and meaning. But yeah. so when I get up in the morning, I have purpose. I know where I fit. And unfortunately, I think there are some individuals who don't have a clue where they fit in society or in life or whatever. Well, I'm lucky. I found where I fit. I found that I can help. I found that it makes a difference. And so every day I will find time and I will write for a minimum of two hours. And trust me with my list, I still have a lot to write. And and so as a consequence, I need, and and my friend was absolutely right. His exact quote to me was, you need to do this. This is who you are. And that's pretty heady stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and I listen to him very, in the first place, he's a very good friend. I listen to him carefully and he's right. It is who I am. I'm not a, I'm not a, a kitchen painter. I'm not a bathroom painter. Um, I, I'm, now I, I do take, I step back. I do mow the lawn once a week, to appease my wife. <laughs> but, but other than, oh, oh, that's worth a quick story. And then we'll get to your last question. We, down in our area, we have 90 degree weather from July through August. I mean, that's, huh. that's, that's part of life. And we have um, a little over an acre and a quarter. So I have to get on a lawn tractor and go mow it and so forth. And so it's 90 degrees. I'm out mowing the lawn. My wife is standing in the air-conditioned house, looking out <laughs> the dining room window, watching me mow the lawn. And so I, so I come in and she says, she looks out the dining room and says, you missed a spot. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Okay. So, my explanation is listen, next week when I go out, it'll be a little higher and I won't miss it. <laughs> so, I, I don't get up in the morning to mow the lawn. I don't get up in the morning to paint the kitchen. And, and by the way, I'm not knocking that. If somebody gets, gets something out of that and that's important to them, go to it. That's not me. So, my why is I can still help people. And I take Dr. G seriously, that it's my responsibility, and it provides me with the two key words, purpose and meaning. Purpose and meaning. I love that. Thank you.
1: So our last question, Dr. Hawk. If you could go back and talk to a young David Hawk and give some advice, what would it be? Oh, boy. Um, I was hoping you weren't going to
2: ask me that question. Um,
0: So I think here's what it would be too. I think because I heard this phrase several times. Hey, can I tell you a couple of things?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's funny. Um, let Let's start this way. I don't often look back. Uh, I am very much a now in the in the present and future person, and so since I'm always working on something or I have something on my schedule, I really don't look back. Um, and then. To tie in with that, I really do believe that as you go through, and and we all go through stages in life, um, do I know a little bit more now at 75 than I did at 23? Oh, heck yes. Come on now. That's that's, that's part of evolution in life. But I think at that time, as a 23-year-old, I have to take the information I have at hand, analyze it, and make the best decision I can. And now... 50 years later, I can't go back and say, you know, that wasn't the best decision because I've had a, I've had 50 some years more experience. So I try not to do that. Um, so there's one more. Let's say let's call it a little caution. I think in athletic administration, however, we should always evaluate what we're doing. You know, I don't care if it's um, game management or uh, a new initiative or whatever it is. You want to look at it and say, could we have done better? What could we have done better? How should we have? Yes, I I, I firmly believe in that. On a personal side, I try not to do that. But having said that, I want to give you an answer. So I'll give you an answer. (laughs) Um, I, I, I think what I would try to remind myself is, again, my dad gave me great advice. And it was like, oh, well, here goes dad again. And I didn't always pay as close attention I think I'd pay a little more close attention. Likewise, Pete, Dr., uh, Dr. Penny, there have been a couple people in my life that had great advice, wisdom, knowledge. Maybe I, as a younger, I should probably embrace it a little quicker, listen a a little, little harder, and not and, and, and I use this throughout, and I, I protested any number of times. No, I can't do that maybe I should just listen a little bit more. Um, now, am I going back 50-some years to listen more? No, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> but, but any number of people have given me sage advice, and if I had only incorporated it and listened, maybe I would have bypassed a couple little hurdles. And there, there's, a, there's an expression that I really, really love, and this is probably a good time to interject it, I don't believe in the word luck. I think luck is the residue of hard work. And so that came from my dad. And so growing up, there was no such thing as, well, you got lucky. No, 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 you didn't get lucky. It's because you prepared, you worked hard. And, and that's what it is. And, and the last little thing, because we've been talking about writing, any number of times, somebody will say to me, boy, you have a real gift. I cringe. I cringe when I hear that. No, a gift implies that at your birthday or Christmas or some other celebration, they hand you a wrapped box. Nobody handed it to me. Writing is a skill, which means it can be learned. It can be improved upon. And I've had to do that all along the way. Am I a better writer now? And This is not conceit. Am I better now than when I was at, at 25 or 28 or absolutely because I've learned I've taken advice I've taken steps and I've learned and so I, I think that holds true for, for anybody in life you know you, you're passing through stages oh by the way I never expected I'd be 75 guess what I'm 75
1: <laughs>
2: so it, it goes too too quickly therefore listen learn Work at it. Um, And there's one last thing. I was never good at this. But if I had to do it all over again, and I don't like hindsight, I would have to do a better job finding quality time with my family. There were too many times in my career where I didn't do well with that aspect. Um, I always had responsibilities at school, I had a game to cover, I had this to do. And of course, I also had, I think, a legitimate excuse. I did not have an assistant. In my my time as an athletic administrator, I did not have an assistant. I did not have a secretary. So, so, So delegating was absolutely impossible. But I should have been creative. I should have found a solution. And I should have found a way to spend more time, quality time. Now, in retrospect, our two children still love me. And my wife still loves me. Even though I don't paint the kitchen, she still loves me. Um, so how that worked out without spending quality time with them, I don't know. So, so Scott, in, in answer to your question, I would probably tell myself at an earlier age, I've got to find a solution to that. And I've got to listen more. And I've got to take better advice.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Great, great pieces of advice. Yes. Um,
0: just... A final thought. Uh, Scott's going to kind of close us with a thought here, uh, this podcast. But uh, this has been fantastic, and you've you've thrown a lot of knowledge our way, and we appreciate the time you've taken and time out of your day uh, away from your painting.
2: And
1: to, <laughs> oh, to with us. wait a minute! <laughs> oh, that's hey, awesome.
2: For, fortunately, my wife is in another room. If she heard any of this, I am in trouble. Yes.
1: She's listening
2: in. Aren't we all? Yeah.
0: <laughs> we try to stay secluded when we do this. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, thank you, um, our listeners and uh I know Scott and I've have, have gained a lot of knowledge as well and uh taken a ton of notes. So thank you for your your insight and um continued success and uh thank you for sharing with us. Will you be in Denver this winter? Yes. Very shortly.
2: Yes. I will. I will be out for one or two days.
0: Okay. We'll try and uh, uh, connect with you. Yeah. We'll try and say hi to you out there. Please do. You bet. Scott, how are you going to lead us or uh, close us out here tonight?
1: Well, you know, it's, I, I, it's so crazy. Um, Every time I, you give me this, we have somebody who comes on and really kind of just really speaks to it. So I don't know how we do that. I don't know if it's a divine intervention or what, but um, this last week I've really been thinking a lot about this. I posted it on my Twitter account. Um, I wrote uh, a blog about it this um, this week. It's and 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 Dr. Hawk talked about it tonight. It's that you know sometimes as ads and as leaders we have to borrow our belief uh, from other people because we don't believe in ourselves. And Dr. Hawk talked about it a lot tonight. He's like, oh, I don't I don't write and he's probably one of the most prolific, uh, writers on athletic administration in the country. And here's a person who said, Oh, I don't write, I don't write articles. Mm -hmm. Now he's written a book he's written. I don't know how many articles total. Um, I mean, something crazy. And so he believed because other people believed in him and, you know, so I, it's just resonated with me a lot. And, I just feel like as athletic directors, we have that community that we're always continually borrowing ideas and concepts and philosophies and we're sharing best practices from our colleagues. And rarely do we ever think about, you know, reaching out and, and talking to somebody. And, and, I, and I I feel like I'm super blessed because I got Todd and Aaron and a lot of other ADs that have, have really helped me through some really tough times. And And, you know, I've had to borrow, you know, God's belief in me or Aaron's belief in me uh, to get through some some times that were tough and and sometimes as af- athletic administrators I feel it's it's kind of difficult to show vulnerability and it's right. it's difficult that you know because we kind of feel like we're on that island and you know I I I kind of equate it to being uh, you know in that movie Castaway and we feel like that Wilson the volleyball is the only person we have and and that we can really reach out and you know. And if we do have those doubts in ourselves, and we do have those doubts in our abilities and talents, um, we can reach out and we can find people that we can borrow that belief in. And like you know, for me and throughout my career, it's been sometimes it's terrifying to admit, I don't know how to deal with this situation, you know, and then I've got stuff thrown at me and, you know, a daily basis that i it's sometimes it's scary stuff. It's whether it's dealing with a parent or a coach or a student athlete or a fellow administrator, you know, so. I just share this to, tonight because I know we have ADs out there that that struggle and and, and always, you know, trying to figure out, is, is this for me? Is this what I want to do? And please reach out. We've got tons of people in the AD community that, that want to help. Just like, like Dr. Hawk said, you know, I find purpose and my why is, is helping student athletes and coaches and other af- athletic administrators. So I just leave everybody with borrow my belief in you until you believe in yourself. So that was my closing thought. So, Dr. Hawk, thank you. And I don't know how this always works out, but uh, that always gives me a week to, to do the closing th- thought. And it, it really fits into um, what you were talking about tonight. So, thank you so much. You made my job a lot easier tonight. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, and we appreciate you being with us.
0: All right. Thank you, everyone. Again, thank you, uh, Dr. Hawk, for your, your time tonight. Scott, good to see you. Good to see uh, you. Aaron on the road back, you can't hear us, but you'll hear us sometime at the end of this. Um, but we'll see you again next time. And to everyone out there, continue to do the good work, uh, continue to fight the good fight. Let us know Beyond the Bench how we can help you. Uh, we're, we're here to help, and we appreciate having the opportunity to do that. Thanks again to our sponsors uh, for Varsity Bound, uh, Varsity Bound, Gipper, Superfan, and Hometown Ticketing, and also to Goat Fundraising for their support of being on the Bench and allowing this to take place. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. As you begin to prepare or wrap up, some are going to be in Iowa where we play summer baseball and softball. Uh, the state tournament, state softball has wrapped up. As you listen to this, we'll be in the middle of state baseball when this comes out. But uh, for everyone else, we're all preparing for the 2021-2022 school year, and we look forward to uh, talking with you through that as well. So have a great week, everyone. Be blessed.